listening to the New Century Multiverse, Panther Soul. Chapter 8 The Hooded Cub Kulonash We take off over the rooftops of Bastarian. I am fast. I am a dark blur. These cubs have never seen a pursuer like me. I'm so fast I could snatch a sneeze from the breeze. My paws pound the rough burnt stone, hurling my body up and over balconies and around chimneys. I will catch them in mere moments. I spring out into space, high over the heads of the gobsmacked cats below, reaching the roofs and railings at the other side and scrabbling up. Any moment now, I shall recover my treasure. Any moment now. By the jaws of Zhao, these little bastards are nimble. They have divided and scurried to the east and west of me. I can see their tactics unfolding. I know their game. The tossing back and forth of the stone ball was dazzlingly coordinated for a while, but I am keeping track. It's with the puma, and the lynx is now beyond throwing distance. I swoop to the left and bound after the male cub who rockets past a belfry, scattering a nest of falcons who squawk angrily at me and flap in my face as I barrel aside and scoot around to corner the cub. He is caught. I tower over him as he quakes. His face fur is dirty and his expression resentful. I extend a paw and curl my pads, indicating, Gimme me. He sighs, reaches into his backpack and drops a stone object into my clutch. I stare at the thing. It's the pilfered ear from a statue of a leopard that I bolted past as we came around. Angrily, I spin him and fling open the pack. Some food and some other filched keepsakes. No signs of the ball. And there is nowhere else obvious that he could be hiding it. I've already taken too long on this distraction. He chuckles. <laughs> as I growl and hurl myself back up in pursuit of the lynx. I have to use my sense of smell now. She is no longer in sight. Fortunately, the puma had traces of her intermingled with his own scent signature, and I am now trying to pass out the whispers of that aroma across the roofs. If I were a gifted hunter, I would have brought her down already. As I seek out the one-eared stone leopard, I have it. She came this way. I glimpse a ruffle of magenta down below me, in a market square, passing a tiger in a blue dress. And I spot the lynx's paw dart in and out of this shopper's basket, without anyone else noticing. Such a thief. I dive in and the lynx arches in fright, leaping up towards the city's canopy once more. I am too quick and catch her leg, hauling her down, still careful not to hurt her or break anything in my anger. She cries out that I am attacking. And we are swiftly surrounded by four of the silver-armored tiger guardians, charged with keeping the peace. What goes on here? What goes on here? This pickpocket stole my property. I bark. Search her and you will find a sandy stone sphere covered with engraved symbols. The lynx dutifully puts her paws aloft and the small backpack concealed beneath her violet cloak is turned out. More food and keepsakes. No ball. Well, she must have hidden it. I cry out as the guardians glare at me. Then I realize everyone is looking my way, including the shopper in the blue dress with the basket. My eyes narrow as I glance back at the lynx, who has her head hung in compliance. 
The long tail of the reptor on her shoulder droops in submission. Excuse me, ma'am. I call to Blue Dress. Could you come over here? And may I see inside your basket? She is having none of this and huffs, turning to leave the square. I growl in frustration and rush past the other shoppers to dart in with my paw entering the basket under its covering blanket and my pads finding the familiar stone shape. But there is something else in there too. Many long, smooth, writhing forms. I yank my arm out, clutching my prize aloft as three pink and yellow striped serpents now coiled around my wrist sink their fangs into my paw. I bellow in shock and pain and outrage, tattoos exploding with crimson fire as the guardians dive down upon me. Why would you just have a basket full of brain adders? I scream at the tiger, who is kicking at me and trying to get her tenacious serpents back. From the corner of my eye, I can now see the lynx cub has been rejoined by the orange puma, and they are falling about laughing. <laughs> I break free of the guardians, fling the horrendous snakes aside, and launch myself at the cubs, who spring up and away again. I leap, and my good paw finds the wooden railing they used. But my mind is already foggy, and somehow there is a slick coating of oil slathered hastily across its surface. My claws slip, and I crash to the ground in a heap. The lynx lands back on my chest as I groan in pain. I notice her skirt has many concealed pockets and a belt pouch behind holding vials and capsules. Certainly one of them could have had a measure of oil in it until a moment ago. She plucks the stone ball from the grip of my swollen, bitten paw. The venom is already working away and my pads are stupid and clumsy. They will be like this all night. The lynx leans in as the guardians pick themselves up. You were beaten today, Panther. She purrs as the reptor looks down and hisses, its tiny fanged jaws wide. But if it makes you feel any better, I admire your determination. And then she is away again. I can hear shrieks of laughter fade off into the distance as I am being hauled to my hindquarters. There is much arguing and gesturing around me. The fact that I was telling the truth about the artifact and the theft does not make up for the peace I have shattered, or the serpents belonging to the tiger who are apparently mortally offended by my aggressive actions. I try my best to explain myself again, but the brain adder venom has spread to my tongue and it is lolling and useless. So in the end, I simply bring out coins and gems and just start pouring them out to everyone who is mad at me until I am finally alone and broke with a horrendous migraine. Maximus approaches, shaking his head. I lost it, I announce heavily. Those little bug lovers were faster than I thought. I should probably have told you this part of the city has been riddled with cut purses for several seasons, he says, guiding me along on wobbling legs and inspecting my bites. I mostly stay inside now. I can't deal with the blighters. We'll get you to a healer for some anti-venom, and then go talk to a thief lord I know, who can hopefully point you to where they might be hiding. He's a good egg. You could have told me about him before. I groan as Maximus supports my hobbling weight. You sprang off too fast. But we can be cunning about this if we know where to go. And I have a crafty idea.
Cleon is a cheater and a fence who runs a shady business down by the riverside, selling stolen things to cats who like paying for stolen things. We are introduced to him by Maximus's aforementioned friend, the thief lord Jenko. It is the fear of Jenko's displeasure which leads Cleon to allow us to lurk in the shadows of the archway below the main street, watching his haunt, waiting for the cubs to appear and attempt to sell him our artifact. The city is shrouded in night and the lamps glow tangerine in the dark violet as the magenta lynx finally appears alone, slinking towards Cleon and boasting of a rare find. I can help you decode some of the symbols if you like. Is all I need to hear before I emerge to block the end of the archway that she came through as old infirm Maximus goes to stand at the other side, presenting the most obvious direction to run. I have her scent, but I suspect she will drop the ball to save her own skin now the game is up. Do you know what this thing is, you big lug? She asks casually. I blink at the absence of surprise in her tone. I was genuinely hoping she would leap in panicked shock, as though snuck up on by a rogue cucumber. Cleon scurries past me and the three of us stand poised and alone. Yeah, I know what it is. It's mine, I growl, tensing to pounce, my bandaged paw throbbing. Oh, so you can read the map. Go on, says Maximus from across the way. And recognize the places it's pointing to? And of course, once you get there, you'll be able to understand all the traps that are on there too. Tell me then. No, I don't think I will. She replies, dragging the first word out and shrugging whilst hefting the ball. You see, you have great big fat paws, big and clumsy, but look at this. She works her lithe little pads deftly and with a series of clicks and presses, she rearranges the plates on one section of the surface of the ball to create a symbol that I can't quite make out from over here. There is a look on her pink furred and speckled face, a defiance I find familiar. She deliberately maintains eye contact as she rotates and rearranges its plates again, causing the shape to disappear. Listen, Cub, I begin taking charge now. We don't need your help and we can decipher that thing on our own. It is then that I realize something. She's been speaking to me in Sawahi, one of several panther dialects, but specifically the one from the group I grew up with. You know my words, I exclaim. She nods and grins slyly. I recognize your skit, or at least the people it came from. The next part she says with a pompous reverence. For you see, I am the lost princess of Iberius. And one of the things I picked up while living in this city as a young cub... You still are a young cub. ...was languages. She continues and then mimes more rapport at me. I think what she is saying is very rude. She follows that with... This is the newest. I quite like it. Yeah, yeah, all right, princess. I play along, eyeballing her ragged clothes and malnourished appearance. Then what makes you think you can tell me more about it than a dealer of antiquities like this guy? I jerk my thumb towards Maximus. Oh, I don't know. Perhaps I can tell you how. Once we're halfway across the Majara Desert, and we stop in at the Temple of... What's that, Kurunchi? Here she listens intently to the reptor on her shoulder, as though it was speaking to her. <laughs> You're right, I've said too much. She raises her paw to her forehead in mock remorse. Is that part of what you read from it? I mouth towards Maximus. 
The lynx girl nods before he is able to respond. Are you taking this creaky old fellow with you? The cub pirouettes idly. We'd race you there, you motley pair. But I'd be fully grown before you show up, bald of hair, to see me on my throne. <laughs> She's just as much of an arrogant tosser as you are. That does it. A smile spreads across my face and I have to chase it away fiercely to regain control. Oh, fine. What do you want? My throne, like I said. I just need a bodyguard to get me there. <coughs> oh, and your feeders as well, too. Thanks, Crunchy, good point. <coughs> this cub is out of her mind, but I figure I will humor her if that gets me the relic without being scratched, bitten, poisoned, or dogpiled by morons. What's your name? Leah. A liar. How appropriate. But you may address me as your highness. And you just want me to escort you to Iberius? Yes. You know where that is? Vaguely. It's past the central territories and across the Majara Desert, like you said. Far west of here. Okay, when do we start? Tomorrow. Wait, I never said yes. Yeah, you did. I'll need the rest of the evening to organize my gang. They'll have to do without me now. First things last. Can you please, in the name of the Fire Lion's sacred shining nutsack, just give me my property back? Sure. She shrugs and stalks past. Catch, Fet Paws. She tosses the sphere into the air for me to grab and inspect. She has reshuffled the sides to the way she had found them. At least I think she has. It occurs to me as I fiddle with the sliding, ratcheting plates that for all my knowledge of ancient gizmos, I really can't read this or work it. The little liar is right. I do need her help. Ugh. I sigh and follow as Maximus catches up. Our adventure's just beginning, and I'm not sure I'll be winning. Luck better be smiling on this here cat, cause I'm trusting our path to a devious brat. You have been listening to episode eight of Panther Soul, the Hooded Cub. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Colo Nash and Crunchy, performed by Alex Shaw. Leah, the Hooded Cub, performed by Willow Shaw. Maximus, performed by Spencer Leap. And Tiger Guards, performed by Kaoru Nagisa and Toby Jungius. Make your decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Panther Soul theme, Zard, composed and performed by Jason Bradley Livesey of Shockwave Sound. Epic Percussion, composed and performed by Alex Koth. Whimsy Groove, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Enchanting Desert Sounds at Night, composed and performed by Enviro Ambient. The City Above, Cut Purse Pursuit, Drowned Sailors, and Arcane Clockworks, Ambience from Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, 
Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Hellas Hario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. For the maximum New Century Multiverse experience, you need to be checking out the podcast Through the Wind Door, where Greg Downing and Toby Skills Jungius talk us through each story like a book club and go into mind-boggling depth. I don't know about you, but I like having my mind boggled. They're currently up to Steamheart. And if you want to read the entirety of Panthersoul right now, it is available in a gorgeous paperback on Amazon.com. Alternately, you can support this project for $10 on Patreon and get access to all the New Century ebooks and audiobooks. 